This is the BearCast, presented by Bird Culchin Ford. Bird Culchin Ford has been in Waco since 1936. Ford is the number one selling truck in Texas 43 years running. The BearCast is also presented by WellMed Medical Management and USMD Health System Dallas. Here's Craig Smoke and Grayson Grundhafer. And welcome in to a brand new edition of the BearCast here on Sikkim365.com on this Tuesday, November the 28th, 2023. I paused for a second because I had to kind of wind up in my head of where exactly we are. It's been such a long season, but here we are, and it is the end of the regular season. It is the end of the football season for the Baylor Bears, who finish 3-9 and nine and 2-7 and seven in Big 12 play. That's all she wrote with the loss to West Virginia this past Saturday at McLean Stadium. We'll be unpacking that, but where we also find ourselves is in, well, a brand new season of sorts, the offseason that will now lead into 2024, and we have some big questions that we've been wondering about the last few weeks that have now been answered, and there are still a bunch of questions still remaining on you know, how exactly this team is going to proceed forward, what exactly this team is going to look like, but just the basic things to note so far in just these past couple of days. Dave Aranda will be Baylor's head football coach next season. There will be new coordinators on both sides of the football, and there will be a new starting quarterback, and that's just in the, what, 48 to 72 hours since their season finale. Those are the notes that we've already gotten. There's much to unpack with all of those topics, and that's what we'll do on the show today. We'll also take a look at West Virginia, but we're going to save most of the time for the things that I just mentioned and some of the things that haven't been settled just yet. But I'm Craig Smoke, Sikkim365.com writer, reporter, also radio host, joined as always by Grayson Grunhafer, director of broadcasting for Sikkim365.com, also uh, Garrett Ross behind the scenes producing as well. And if you're catching us live where we are Tuesdays at 11.15 on the Baylor Athletics on Sikkim365 YouTube channel, um, that's where you can catch us live every week. But if you're doing that uh, live at the moment or after the fact, please hit that subscribe button. Please hit that like button as well. That's all we ask. And in return, hopefully we uh, leave you with some uh, entertainment and a little bit of knowledge as well. But Grayson, man, a lot to uh, wind up there and a lot to unpack as we will start to do. But before we start to do that, and I want to take it step by step here, just how you feeling, man? The regular season is over. It's officially the offseason for the Bears. A bunch of Big 12 teams are still going to play another game. Uh, maybe in Texas' case, uh, or in Texas and Oklahoma State's case, a couple more games. Um, in UT's case, maybe three, four more games, depending on how it all goes. But uh, season over for Baylor football. How are you feeling about it? Yeah, I mean, what a uh, fitting way to end the season, honestly. I, I mean, we're going to talk about this West Virginia game, but just one that, again, you feel like you let get away. Um, and, I mean, it didn't matter. It wasn't going to salvage Baylor's season at all, but it still would have left you maybe feeling a little bit better about what the offseason was going to be like, especially when the news of Dave Aranda kind of became apparent, right, that he was going to come back. It, it really, everything really shifted towards the end of last week. Because um, I know we talked about, it and we were kind of like, hey, the momentum's going in this direction uh, that I was feeling like he was probably going to leave. And then by the end of the week, you're like, wait a minute, it doesn't look like, it doesn't look like he's going anywhere. It looks like this is just going to be a run it back type situation. Um, and that's exactly what unfolded. So, you know, I, I think that it's a huge risk by Mac Rhodes, but I also think it's one that he clearly believes in. 
and something that this program believes in. So uh, we'll see what happens. I mean, I, I think that there's a lot of separation amongst the fan base, which I completely understand. Um, and a lot of people who cover Baylor, too are very separate on this as well. So it's definitely going to be a huge talking point and conversation point, and we're just kind of going to be sitting here going, we'll see how it goes, and now they need to figure out who their offense coordinator is going to be. Yeah, no one knows for sure right now whether it was the right decision to bring Dave Aranda yeah. back or not, and we won't know that for quite a while. And no one knows if you know the moves uh, at coordinator. We don't even know who's going to be officially the coordinator on the offensive side of the ball, as we'll get into. We kind of know the deal on defense, but – uh, no one quite knows where exactly this is heading other than the things I mentioned at the very top about this, the basic points of Dave Aranda is going to be back, there's going to be new coordinators, there's going to be a new starting quarterback. And so we'll get into all that, but let's read the last rights on 2023 and just kind of wrap this up. And I want to leave you with this. Five straight losses to close the regular season for these Baylor Bears, a 3-9 and nine final um I guess tally record wise, and then as I mentioned at the top as well, a two and seven mark in Big Twelve play that was only better than Cincinnati, and it tied you with Houston and BYU. So you are not UCF, but you found yourself at the very bottom of the standings with three of the four schools, while UCF finished uh, just you know a couple spots above you. But there you are with Houston, BYU, and Cincinnati down at the very bottom. And the only thing preventing you from being at the very bottom with Cincinnati was the fact you beat Cincinnati in the regular season. Other than that, you would be right there at the very bottom. So, man, three and nine, two and seven, not what anybody, even the most pessimistic people would have anticipated uh, going into this year. So how did we get here? Well, we've ran down every game so far. Let's run down how they got to loss number nine as opposed to win number four, which is what it should have been on Saturday night. But oh, so fitting that it turned out in so many ways the way that it did. And without, because we are going to have so many other big topics to talk about, without delving too far into this, let's just kind of uh, skim through it uh, as opposed to going sort of drive by drive. These teams traded punts right out of the gates, and then it looked like it was going to be that W. WVU blowout that many of us anticipated. Uh, seven nothing after a three play ninety yard drive. They force a punt. They kick a field goal. It's ten nothing all of a sudden. Baylor does get a big play, and there was a couple of big plays um, from a particular young man in this game by the name of Richard Reese, who has not been able to get his hands on the football very often. That is one of the more puzzling questions of the entire season, and something whoever the new offensive coordinator is. If you maintain the fact that you have Richard Reese on your roster, first things first is you got to maintain him on your roster. But whoever comes in to run the offense next year has to get more out of Richard Reese. But it's ten nothing, and then here he is, ninety six yard kickoff return for a touchdown. Boom, just like that. It's 10-7, and the Bears are feeling a little bit of life after their offense wasn't able to do much early on, and he's just getting started here, Grayson. Yeah, and that was really fun to see. He goes 96 yards, um, just showing the explosiveness and the burst, and we'll see what happens as far as Richard goes. I know they got a really deep deep running back room, obviously, by what they've used, but I, I do think, you know, the more that I look at this and the more that I kind of think about it, I actually think an offensive change, a scheme change, will be good for him. 
And I think there's some reasons to be optimistic about it. He's not a very good pass catcher, but I do think if he can get downhill in a hurry, he's got great speed, elusiveness. Um, and I think just that one cut ability is really, really intriguing. And you kind of saw it on this kickoff return. Once he found the hole, he really accelerated through it. Um, and as we're going to talk about, he did again. But this was a, a big statement, I felt like, by Richard Reese. And finally, he got the ball in his hands. Yeah, I mean, let's face it. It was bad weather. It was just, you know, the rainy, you know, nighttime, kind of cold weather. The fans were still celebrating Thanksgiving mostly. <laughs> there was not a lot of people there. Uh, it very much felt like a bad team at the end of the road, you know, and, and not a lot of uh, excitement. And so there wasn't much going right early on, but then Richard Reese runs that kick back. Unfortunately, the defense isn't able to hold up their end of the bargain as West Virginia then goes seven plays, 82 yards, and makes it a 17-7 to game. Garrett Green, a 23-yard run on second down. And boom, like that, it's 17-7. But here's Richard Reese freaking again, man. Unbelievable. I was watching with my future brother-in-law. We're just sitting there kicking. I'm telling, like, I'm telling him all about Baylor's situation. And he actually follows Baylor pretty closely. But we were flipping back and forth, and I forget the other game that was on at that time. There's a couple of them that were on at that time. Yep. And we're flipping back and forth and caught the tail end of Richard's first uh, touchdown uh, return. And then we're flipping back and forth again, and then we flip back, and there he's running. It's like, is this a replay? It's like, no, he's running back a second kickoff return, back-to-back. He goes the distance, this time 93 yards, back-to-back kick return touchdowns for 189 total yards. Richard Reese, 14 points all on his own. It is then 17-14 to West Virginia, just like that. Yeah, and you're feeling like, okay, well, there's two special teams touchdowns. At least, you know, you're thinking, okay, maybe Baylor can at least stay in the game because of this. But you're also sitting there going, okay, Baylor's defense hasn't gotten any stops, has shown zero signs, which I'm going to get to in a minute about how bad this first half was for the defense. Um, But then you're also like, okay, well, yeah, these returns are great, but Baylor's offense has virtually done nothing. Are they going to be able to move the football at all? Um, All big question marks because, as we all know, defensive, and special teams touchdowns aren't really sustainable. Speaking of special teams, West Virginia would respond with a field goal on an eight-play, 60-yard drive. It was 20-14, to 14, and then the Bears get their own opportunity after an eight-play, 46-yard drive to kick their own field goal, and Isaiah Hankins misses from 43 yards out. It would be the first of two misses for him on the day, as that's been sort of sketchy here over the last few weeks, uh, but a big miss there. And so instead of making it a three-point ball game, uh, it was instead a six-point ball game at that point. And here comes West Virginia again. They would not be stopped. Seven plays, 74 yards. Garrett Green, another touchdown run, as he is a really dangerous weapon there for the Mountaineers. And so it is 27-14. That would do it for the first half. So Baylor shut out on offense. No stops on defense, basically. Or Did they get a single stop on defense? They got one the very first. Yeah, the one, the first. The first one. Yeah, the first open. Both of them were stopped on Finally their opening Finally forced drives. a punt for the first time. Yeah, and, you know because they didn't force one against TCU. Right. So yeah. it had been a little while for them to force a punt. Uh, they would do that again pretty soon after in this game. But yeah, one stop, which was on the opening drive, no points offensively, and two special teams kick return touchdowns from Richard Reese. That was this game at halftime, uh, twenty-seven 
to 14. So we get into the second half, and Baylor with a nice drive right out of the gates, a 7-play, 77-yard drive in a little over four minutes. And this was capped off by Keetron Jackson, a 38-yard touchdown from Sawyer Robertson, who, of course, was uh, starting and playing fully in this game because of the injury to Blake Shapin. And uh, obviously there's news attached to him moving forward. Uh, but Keetron Jackson, his first touchdown as a Baylor Bear, which is hard to imagine, week 12 of the season, and he was like your wide receiver one candidate. It took him all 12 games to get his first score, but he gets it nonetheless, and it is therefore 27 to 21. Yeah, and I I mean, I do want to mention in the first half, because I was going to tell everyone kind of how bad this defense is. Well, they gave up 365 yards on 38 (laughs) plays in the first half. I mean, it was... that good? It, I mean, holy cow. It felt like West Virginia was going to score 50-something points in this game. We're going to get to that in a minute in this third quarter about, you know, the adjustments and how they changed. But 365 yards and a half. They just were not prepared, not ready for what they saw from Garrett Green. Uh, Chateau Reed had a really, really difficult first half. Had pass interference, missed a tackle that led to a rushing touchdown, which we've seen far too many times. Um, And yeah, they were just completely dominated in the first half defensively. Now, moving to the second half, you mentioned that touchdown drive. Great to see that deep ball from Sora Robertson. Mm -hmm. That was really, really impressive to see. And I think in the first half, we saw a lot of dink and dunking from Sawyer. And then finally in the second half, they really opened things up. And I think that opened up the offense. It opened up the run game. And I think it really also got him in uh, more of a flow, right, about creating those explosive plays, which we kind of all knew they were going to need if they were going to win this game. I know there's mixed reaction, but I thought he played well. He was very efficient. I know it wasn't like having to, like, you know, do everything in the playbook, but I mean, I, you couldn't have really asked for more given the situation from Sawyer Robertson. So yeah, the big bomb to Keetron Jackson desperately needed that. And you look up and all of a sudden it's 27, 21. Like this is a game. How? I don't know. Given how the first half sort of went. Oh yeah. Because of Richard Reese, quite frankly. And so then the offense does their part. The defense does their part. They force a punt. And then here's the offense again, six plays, 51 yards, Dominic Richardson with his first rushing touchdown. I noted these in my article so far this week. Uh, the kind of the first that came out of this game. First touchdown for Keetron Jackson. First rushing touchdown for Dominic Richardson, who caught a touchdown last week, which was his first official Baylor touchdown. But his first rushing touchdown. He's a running back. It's 12 games into the season. But beggars can't be choosers. He goes in from two yards out, and they take the freaking lead here. 28-27. Is there an upset in store? Well, you know the rest, but at least you're feeling like, well, pretty excited when there was not a whole lot of excitement going into this game. Yeah, and once again, another explosive play to Keetron Jackson, and that was a key. Again, the explosive plays continued. They continued to throw the ball deep downfield a few times, and Sawyer took advantage of those, and Keetron played his best game. Well, one of. The Cincinnati game is right up there as well, but Keetron played really, really well in this game. And yeah, like you mentioned, Sawyer played well. I think a big thing on this drive that that is very evident about kind of where Baylor was all year and how they played in this game. Fourth and one at the West Virginia four. Baylor has been dreadful on fourth and ones. It feels like they've gotten stuffed every time they've had a fourth and one. They lined up, QB sneak, they get the first down, immediately score with Dominic Richardson. I felt like that was a very nice sign of a team that is showing growth and at least trying to get better. And that was kind of one of those moments where I was like, during the course of the year, Baylor was not getting that first down, but they were able to in this one. Everybody involved on that drive is scheduled to be back next year. I mean, you had, as you mentioned, Keetron Jackson with a big play at the start, a 38-yard gain. 
um, after he scored his touchdown. So a nice sequence of events there for him. But Dominic Richardson on this drive, uh, not for much, just a couple of carries, but he did cap off the drive. But you also had Richard Reese with a four-yard run. You had Matthew Kloffenstein with a four-yard catch. Sawyer Robertson running around a little bit. So all of those guys on paper are supposed to be back. So it was a little bit of a look of like, yeah, look at next year. Although, as we know, they'll be playing in a different offense, whoever is back next year. But Dom Richardson gives Baylor the lead 28-27. Defense forces another punt. And then Baylor uh, with a field goal to add on to their lead. A 12 plays, 63-yard drive. You'd like to have more than three points there at the end. They did convert a fourth and two. Uh, with Sawyer Robertson on a big 18-yard gain to Josh Cameron to move the sticks, but then got down near the red zone and uh, unable to do much more with it than that as a Sawyer Robertson unable to pick up any yards on a third and three, so forced to settle for the 39-yarder, but Hankins boots it through uh, early on in the fourth quarter, and it is 31-27. to Yeah, and to cap off the third quarter a little bit, uh, the defense pitched a shutout. The offense played really well, and Sora Robertson, to his credit, 140 total yards of offense in that third quarter. He played really, really well in that quarter, and like I mentioned, outside of the UCF third quarter, this third quarter is probably their best quarter of the season. So here you are. You score early on in that fourth quarter after the the very nice third quarter that Grayson mentioned there, and West Virginia forced to punt once again. Your defense has started to get some stops for you. Baylor, unfortunately, has to punt themselves, and that's when you look back on, like, where could they have separated? Well, they're forced to punt. West Virginia gets the ball back, and the Baylor defense, again, bows up, stops the Mountaineers on fourth down and one near midfield at the West Virginia 45. Garrett Green gets nothing on fourth down and one, and they turn it over at midfield, but here's the sequence here that really will kill them, as we'll get to. Yeah, and once again, Fourth and one all year long, the other team has gotten this fourth and one. And Baylor was able to get a stop. Matt Jones was playing with his dang hair on fire throughout the third quarter. I mean, he was, this was just him playing with all heart. It was so fun to watch. He was flying around to the football, getting tackles for loss, getting in the backfield, just wrecking havoc. Um, They get the stop on on fourth and one. You got to win this game. 420 left in the fourth quarter. You got to find a way to win this game. They turn the ball over right around midfield. You're set up really well. And now this sequence comes and you're just kicking yourself, honestly. Yeah, up four, 420 left to play. You just got a big fourth down stop to uh, end their drive at midfield. And you go eight plays, 31 yards. And Isaiah Hankins misses from 32 yards out. Now, first of all, there's a third and 11, and you're running Dawson Pendergrass for three yards, which I didn't quite understand that. But okay, that's fine. It sets up the fourth and eight, and Hankins misses from 32. Uh, So no points whatsoever come out of that drive. At minimum, you kick the field goal, you're up by a touchdown, which would matter here. Mm -hmm. Instead, you're only up, what, by... uh, by four, yeah. and had you scored a touchdown, this game's over. Over. And you beat West Virginia, but and you get a nice win to end the year. All but they need was a first down, and this game's over. Because yeah. West Virginia had to use all three of their timeouts, which you're we're right. going to also get to here in a second. Um, but I'm with you. Third and 11, you're at the West Virginia 17. I understand you want to get some yards, but the difference between a 35-yard field goal and a 32-yard field goal is really not that much. You might as well play for the win here and have Sawyer make a throw, try to make a read, try to make a play. Unfortunately, they run it. Yes, West Virginia has to waste a timeout, but felt like, like, come on. 
try to win this game. Try to put this game away with your offense because, to be honest, I know the defense is getting stops, but you kind of knew this was coming, honestly. I I mean, it really felt like they were going to find a way to score, but another miss by Hankins is he really just a tough stretch into the year. Yeah, one of three on the day for him in a game he lost by three. So not uh, not a good look there. And, of course, it's special teams, so there could have been an issue with the hold or something. You know, yeah. I don't know. I haven't looked under the microscope, and I don't really care to at this point. But, I mean, that's just been sort of erratic, and it hurt them in this game, uh, undoubtedly. So you're able to whittle it all the way down to a minute 14. You have this field goal. You miss the field goal. Well, hey, there's only, like – you know, a minute left in this game. All you have to do is get a stop. And West Virginia doesn't need to just score. They need to score a touchdown. I mean, you can get one. This defense has been playing pretty well the second half. They're getting stops. All you have to do is get a stop. Garrett Green, 11 yards to Hudson Clement. Garrett Green, 23 yards to Hudson Clement. Garrett Green, 8 yards. Garrett Green, 9 yards. Garrett Green, incompletion, already inside uh, the Baylor 30-yard line at that point. And then second down and 10 with 23 seconds remaining at the Baylor 29-yard line. Garrett Green to Jaheim White, 29 yards. West Virginia scores with 23 seconds remaining to take the lead, 34-31. to no timeouts left. You can absolutely not get beat over the top. And, I mean, he was wide open. Uh, you can't allow that to happen. I, I just – it continues to happen. It continues to puzzle me how this happens. I mean, obviously, it's just something – this is who they are. Um, but, man, that that's just so discouraging. They didn't even take them a minute, and they didn't even have a timeout to use. That's – It's pretty bad and and really, really a tough pull to swallow because Baylor did play so well, especially in the second half of this game. They played well enough to win it, I think, in some regards. But at the end of the day, I do do think the better team actually did win this game. Yeah, I I do think West Virginia is a better team. I mean, they're 8-4, and so they're clearly a better team. But, I mean, this was your big upset opportunity. Baylor gets the ball back. Um, You know, 14 yards to Dabney, call a timeout, another gain to Pendergrass. And R.J. Martinez came in and threw an incompletion um, on – uh, second down, and that was it. That was all she wrote. That was the way the game ended with an R.J. Martinez incompletion. Yeah. Um, and it, it was 34-31. Mountaineers get the win in Waco after having to sweat it out. Yeah, and I saw some uproar about R.J. Martinez coming in the game, but that was more so about just being the Hail Mary quarterback mm-hmm. situationally throughout the week. So they brought him in to, to throw it deep, and unfortunately he didn't get enough time to even really get off anything. I mean, it, he got hit as he was throwing it. So that Welcome was to the party. Yeah, yeah, that's what every quarterback has faced so far this season. Yeah, so that was that was tough to watch. Sora Robertson, though, played really well. Definitely need to mention him. I felt like, you know, at times Richard Reese got going. Six for 42. Obviously, the kickoff returns were really, really impressive. He was by far the best running back on the day, which they finally gave him the football. He did well. Keetron Jackson had a nice game. And defensively, again, Matt Jones really, really played hard. I felt like the defense in general in that second half really took the challenge personally after playing a just disgraceful first half yep so that was it that was the conclusion to the 2023 Baylor football season an absolute heartbreaker uh, when you look at it a game that in the first half didn't really give you a whole lot of high hopes but Richard Reese just with the spark of the kicker turns made it actually interesting even still not enough to where you know it was um, you know that close but then the way that they played in that third quarter they made it a game and um, you could see the belief sort of building, and then there at the end, man, it was just like, of course this is the way that it ends. You give up a touchdown with a minute to go. I mean, just really inexcusable. Um, and 
just disappointing that another one got away and in grueling fashion as so many of these losses have been, whether they're on the blowouts part of the spectrum or they're on the just last minute losing, uh, you know, just something this team can't quite get rid of that stink somehow or another that uh, just has trailed them all year long and this one stunk to high heavens by the end of it. Uh, you almost wish they would have just gotten blown out because at least you would have been like, okay, yeah, that's that's what you expected. But nevertheless, 34-31, a great effort, a lot of you know good individual performances, some good team performances at times, but just not enough. Like, you know, you got to get a stop on defense. You, you got to make your field goals. You've got to finish drives offensively. Um, but alas, um, this was just kind of more of the same. And so there she goes, the 2023 season and the Bears uh, ending at 3-9, and nine. Uh, as I mentioned previously, two and seven in Big Twelve, right there uh, above only Cincinnati in the standings. And so now, well, now we start to turn our attention towards twenty twenty four already, Grayson, because some big decisions have already been made. You wondered after the game, this coaching carousel is in full swing. We've seen a bunch of teams already throw their names in the hat. Where would Baylor be in this thing? Dave Aran is on hot seat watch. Kind of depends to what uh, warmth level on who you ask. But I know that I didn't feel like he was going anywhere. Although, had they gone and gotten blown out by West Virginia, like maybe if it was super embarrassing, like that tips the scales. But it just kind of felt like he was going to be back. They were setting things up, the NIL story and things like that. It was just setting up for him to be back. And sure enough, we learned a few things this weekend from the coaching uh, persp- uh, coaching side of things. Dave Aranda will be back, as we mentioned at the top, for a fifth season. Um, but he will have to perform. His team will have to perform. And there are going to be some changes at coordinator, but let's start with just Dave Aranda first things first. Uh, What are your thoughts on him coming back for a fifth season? Right. I I mean, I think this is a situation. I I think you can really make it really simple. I think it's a willingness of Dave Aranda to, quote-unquote, change his approach, whether it's NIL, uh, his approach as a coach, which he's going to be, basically the defense coordinator. He's going to be coaching the defensive side exclusively, focusing a lot on the defensive side, which he needed to do, I think, in previous seasons. But now he's really going to have to. He's going to be coaching for his job, essentially. Um, So I think that's an interesting change. And again, that's a willingness by him to change. And then I also think it's a belief by Mac Rhodes. He believes in Dave Aranda still. Um, and when you put those two together, that's why the result is what it is. And that's why Baylor's keeping Dave Aranda. Um, I'm pretty, I, I'm torn on it because I see the reasons why you would want to move on, especially after what we've seen over the past, what, two years, basically. Um, it's been really bad, but I also see signs of potentially it getting better, but I do think there's going to have to be patience, and, and sadly, I don't think many Baylor fans have that patience right now. Yeah, I mean, I can understand it to an extent. There's just not a fun feeling around the program right, right now. It's not fun to be at games. It's not fun to watch them find ways to lose. It's not fun to watch them kind of yakety sacks their way to, you know, more um, miscues and losses and mistakes and blown assignments and just all these things that never really seem to change throughout the year. Like, I don't know that it ever really felt like they got better, you know, like overall. Like, individually, I'm sure, sure like, you break down the film, guys got better, but as a team, it was just kind of felt like a lot of the same, you know, a lot of the same disappointments, a lot of the same areas of weaknesses. And then the areas of weaknesses would kind of shift from week to week. Like the secondary is your strong suit. And then that game happens. And then, you know, and uh, the TCU game happens. And so, yeah, um, with Aranda, I, 
you know, expected this to some extent, but I did feel like, hey, maybe there's a chance they decide to just cut their losses and move on, and I would have totally understood that. But I do, not saying I agree with it, but I do understand bringing him back. I mean, but you know what? This is it. Like, there is oh, no yeah. other, like, well, you had, this is it, man. If you don't go to a bowl game next year, bare minimum, it's time for a coaching search. I mean, that, that much is clear. And you know what? It might be time. I hate to say this, but it's true. It might be time for an athletic director search. I mean, because it does feel like Mac Rhodes is pushing his chips all in on the decision that he made to hire Dave Aranda. And not that that's necessarily the case, but it kind of feels like that's why you would bring him back is because you're putting your neck out there and saying, no, I still believe in this guy. And I believe that with the right changes that we can get this thing back on track. I do think Dave Aranda just in general is the perfect fit for Baylor in this era. But now there are legitimate questions as to whether or not he knows how to run a football program on and off the field as far as recruiting and roster building and development and execution actually between the lines on Saturdays. And it's been enough of a a miss more than hit here over the last year and a half that he's allowed that to become part of the conversation, but it's, it's valid. I mean, does he know how to do all of those things? Because there does seem to be a lack of talent compared to other teams. There is maybe a little bit slower development than you would like. Um, there is the youth movement, and that's what they're kind of using as one of their bullet points for why he's coming back. But, I mean, that's, you know, you got to hold on to these guys. I mean, are you going to have all of those young guys back next year? They're banking on it. They're banking on NIL, filling in the holes elsewhere. They're banking on some changes on the staff, um, you know, I guess improving things on both sides of the ball, and both sides definitely do need to improve based on what we saw this year. I think that a shakeup was certainly needed. Uh, that that much was obvious. Um, but, you know, like you said, it's a split opinion on whether that should have been at the very top. But it, it will be next year this time if things don't improve and improve drastically. Yeah, and I agree with you. Mac Rhodes did double down now. You know, mm-hmm. he's doubled down on Dave Aranda with this decision. I think the uh, OC hire is going to be very important. And I do think that this search, it should be over relatively soon, maybe even as soon as today, to be honest with you. But, um I think that's going to be really important for Dave Aranda to figure out who's going to be the guy that takes over the offense as he's going to be very focused on the defensive side of things. He needs an offense coordinator that he really trusts, probably one who has had head coaching experience in the past, seems likely uh, in my eyes. But I think for uh, for Dave now, it's just going to be really important that he gets the defense fixed, and he's going to have to become more like that mold of like a Ryan Day at Ohio State, where Ryan Day is focused on the offensive side. Jim Knowles is the defensive guy. Aranda's going to have to be that just uh, kind of inverse, right? So it's going to be very intriguing, but you're exactly right. Next year, it's very important that they get this thing fixed. So Dave Aranda is back for a fifth season. That is official. What we also learned, uh, Grayson's kind of touched on it already, but uh, to put it out there, Jeff Grimes, no longer offensive coordinator at Baylor. He is out Um, Had the brilliant 2021 season uh, where they won the Big 12 championship. But just, uh, just, I mean, it's like you're wearing the wrong size shoes sometimes with this offense. Like, how how is Richard Reese not able to be a part of this offense? You know what I mean? Why are you relying so heavily on a freshman running back from East Texas and Dawson Pendergrass? Like, why is it take, you know, why is the offensive line so bad? Why, you know, there's, there's a lot of questions. I think, um, you know, offensively, something had to give, man. That, I mean, that was like either watching paint dry or just running your head into the in a wall over and over again. And it was part personnel, it's part scheme. I think there's certainly some play call situations in almost every game where you're just kind of like, what? Uh, and mm-hmm. 
I think just all of that adds up to where, you know, the head coach is also feeling the heat. Something has to give. And, you know, with this offense, I do feel like as good as it was with Abram Smith and, a, you know, a great O-line and a really sharp quarterback situation and some good receivers that could make plays, that was one thing. But in the current iteration, they weren't ready to be anything close to that offense, like ground and pound and shove it down your throat. That Those days were, were long in the rearview mirror, and they didn't really appear to be coming up anytime soon either. So to me um, – not that Jeff Grimes is a bad coach, not that given more time they couldn't have figured something out, but I just felt like they had to do something on that side of the football. And there will be personnel changes that I'll get to in a moment, but Jeff Grimes is out, um, and that is uh, you know now going to lead to a search that you mentioned and a search that you think could conclude here pretty quickly. Yeah, I think they were completely fooled by what they saw in the spring and in the summer and the fall as well. I, I think they saw that the offense could move the ball a little bit against the defense and run the football somewhat effectively and just kind of thought the defense line was really, really good. And, hey, you know, we're going to be fine against, you know, other teams. And then it turns out, well, the defense line wasn't very good. And then you look at the offense line, they're getting dominated by Texas State. So you find that as a surprise, and if you find that as a surprise, now you got to try to fix things during the season. We didn't see it. We didn't see the necessary changes that need to be made. I don't think they necessarily had the personnel to go full, you know, four wide receivers every single down and really spread things out. I'm not sure they could do that without an offseason. And so because of that, they were really limited. And honestly, at the end of the day, that is on the offense coordinator to make sure that they're ready to make changes in case things don't work. They didn't make changes. They did the same thing all year long, and, and I'm sorry, but that's not that's not good enough. Yeah, that you when you're running when literally what Baylor did in years past was like this is just one specific thing. Third and six, you run the ball, you know you're going to get four yards. You get fourth and two, and you can go get the first down. This year, it's like fourth and eight, you're running the ball, or third and eight, you're running the ball, you're getting no yards, and then you're going for it on fourth and eight, a lot. And it's just wild to me that there were no changes made. I know they tried to do the whole RPO thing and did some things against Cincinnati that were a little different and got them the win there. But in general, not enough changes were made, and this they just weren't prepared, I don't think, for what they saw at all. They did not look much improved this year from last year. Uh, the personnel, again, doesn't always fit. Uh, there's some square pegs and round holes. Um, just a, a lack of overall star power. Uh, and development uh, that, you know, obviously was going to take more time to get anywhere close to where it needed to be, and that's not a luxury that Dave Aranda has. They have to score points. Um, their offense did not score points this year uh, on a consistent basis, and they needed Richard Reese to basically keep them in this game and not let it become a blowout. Um, and then when your defense is a sieve, uh, that doesn't help matters when they can't stop anybody, you can't score. And so I feel like that was a necessary change that, you know, that needed to happen. And, and so long farewell to Jeff Grimes. Hey, everybody will always have 2021. Yeah. He'll always have a place in the Baylor history books. He'll be just fine. He'll get a job quickly. Um, still will probably, you know, be a head coach somewhere someday. Uh, maybe the UTEP job now that that's open, you know, something along those lines. But he will be okay. But best of luck to him. You know, that does lead you to wonder about what other changes Changes could happen with whoever the offensive coordinator is. I know Eric Mateos would like to stay in Waco if at all possible, but you don't know. Does a new guy want an offensive line coach? Does he want a quarterback's coach? Does he want a wide receiver's coach? What exactly will that new person be looking for? Uh, that remains to be seen. So there's still some TBD 
uh, as far as the offensive staff goes. But Grimes officially gone, and there's a big note there for the next OC. But let's hold off on that for the personnel part of things. Let's talk about the other side now, which is what you touched on, Dave Aranda taking over the defense. Both coordinators um, gone from the standpoint of Grimes is gone, gone, no longer with Baylor. Matt Pallage, first-year D.C., still maintaining the title, but will also still be around, just not really as the defensive coordinator. That will be Dave Aranda. That will be his old bread and butter, why he got the Baylor job in the first place. That's how he made his mark in college football. That's why people know Dave Aranda. Um, This is what he's all about. And so now he's either going to live or die calling a defense, which is kind of fitting. Um, But... Man, probably should have happened a long time ago, if not last year. I feel sorry for Matt Pallage of it's you're kind of getting demoted just one year in. But you know what? That that ultimately circles back to Aranda. I'm glad that Pallage will be on staff. I'm glad that he'll still have time to learn. And uh hopefully this is beneficial for him in the long run. I think he's got a bright future as a coach as well. But they just weren't ready for his newness and the roster's newness and just where this team was. And so your thoughts on um, you kind of touched on it, like I said, but just the, the whole situation there with Pallage, Aranda, and the D.C. spot. Right. I mean, Dave Aranda's proven throughout his career that he can be a very good defense coordinator. I, I think most people would say if he would have gotten fired this year, he's probably landing at a very high-end Power 5 oh, job as the defense sure. coordinator, whether it's Oklahoma or USC or maybe back at LSU even. Yep. I just I don't think people quite understand what he is on the defense side and what people think of him. And so I do want to put that out there. That is very important to mention. If he truly does this, which if he's saying it, he's going to do it. And he's been very intentional in his actions, whether it's through team meetings or various things about these are his intentions. He's going to take over the defense next year. And so that gives Baylor a a huge upgrade there in my eyes to have him doing that. I think it's really big uh, of Matthew Pallage to kind of understand that. And also be like, hey, this is an opportunity for him to learn behind one of the best defense coordinators in the country, defensive minds in the country. Um, Now it's going to be kind of about what does that shift mean? And like I mentioned earlier, we see it across college football. You have some coaches who are managers who don't coach either side of the ball, which is basically what Dave Aranda did uh, his first few years. But then you have coaches who, like a Ryan Day, they coach the offense. And then they Lincoln Riley, they're hands off on the defensive side. That's kind of going to be what Dave Randa, I think, is going to do. I think that's the setup going forward, and I think that's actually a really good thing. I think that's going to allow Dave Randa to genuinely be who he is as a coach while also allowing him to not, you know, have to worry as much about the offensive side and find a guy that he truly trusts. And that's why I think this OC hire is going to be so pivotal because they need someone who they can, who Dave Randa can really, really trust and count on to not only be productive, but also manage the game on the offensive side, which is going to be very, very important. So, yeah, I think that's kind of what we're down to, but I do think this is a huge upgrade for Baylor and something they had to do. If Dave Randa is truly going to go into this with the mindset of, I have to win. I have to put my best foot forward this year. Then he's got to coach the defense. I think there's no other answer. Like I said, it's very fitting that he is either going to sink and swim as a head coach as a defensive coordinator uh, for all intents and purposes. You know, if the defense plays really well next year, but the offense is kind of whatever, then maybe that gives him a six year just based on how they play because the defense improves. But either way, the defense 
must improve. It was not a good year uh, in any way, shape, or form. Not what you wanted to see after the departure of Ron Roberts this time a year ago. Matt Powell not quite ready just yet, so he'll get some more seasoning under the wings of Dave Aranda. But I did find it sort of alarming. I know a lot of people are pointing out, and they're looking for things. Everybody is when things are going wrong. But it was notable after a while of, like, Dave Aranda never talking on the headset, mm-hmm. you know, especially in key moments where the defense needs to stop, and it's like he's got the mic not even near his mouth. And, and so now, like, he's going to be in it. Like, he needs to be in it, and, like, he probably should have always been in it. But he made some comments, like, a week ago about Matt Palage and his one-on-one with Smokey. And he talked about, like, how he was helping, but that, you know, like, he wasn't all hands-on. And it was just sort of strange to me, like, hearing him describe it because, on the one hand, I understood that he was trying to be the head coach, not the defensive coordinator. But at the same time, when you're struggling as much as they were, and when the struggles, Grayson, are not being in the right spot, not calling the right defense for situations like we saw at the end of this game, um, those types of things, like, you have to step in because that's crushing you. Like, that's... That's debilitating uh, for a team like this. And so this this is an upgrade uh, on paper in, in every way, shape, or form you'd imagine. And hopefully he's got some of his old magic still left in that regard because they're going to need it. Yeah, and I do think the point that you're mentioning, one thing I do want to say is a lot of that work that you're mentioning, can you tackle, can you be in the right spot, can you fit the run, all of that's done in the offseason. Like, it's very rare that a defense goes into the year not being able to do those things, and then by the end of the year, they're doing them at a high level. And so, in my eyes, I think this is more so about what do they do in the offseason, what do they do leading up to the football season with Dave Aranda as the defense coordinator. I honestly think that matters far more than him calling the plays in the game, to be honest with you. I think he put all his faith and trust in Ron Roberts and then Matthew Pallage to be like, hey, These guys understand my expectation. I trust them to get the job done. And unfortunately, that just did not happen. And so now he's got to go do it, take take the reins, take over, and honestly, take the blame when they don't do good and also take the credit when they do well. And that's going to be the thing that's going to define Dave Randa's time at Baylor and define what is next for his future here. Yeah, and I said on the show yesterday that, you know, you've been able to kind of point fingers here and there, but at this point, no matter what goes wrong, it's going back to Dave Aranda. Everything, yeah. no matter what it is, everything goes back to him now with all the decisions that have been made, with how far along we are in the tenure. Everything now falls at his feet. No more excuses, no more mulligans, nothing. Whatever's not working right, that's on Dave Aranda. And I think he understands that, and uh, everybody involved understands that. And so before we move on to a personnel note that's obviously a huge note as well on a very busy couple of days uh, exiting the regular season, uh, defensive coordinator-wise, Matt Pallage, still that name, but it's going to be Dave Aranda. Offensive coordinator-wise, Jeff Grimes, gone. Remains to be seen on all the rest of the staff because that's going to depend on a hire and kind of what else they tweak and other job offers as well. Like somebody could always get plucked away, but... What do you want to say, if anything, on the OC search and just kind of what you expect there as far as, I don't know if you want to get into names or or what, but your thoughts on that before we move to a a personnel note that's going to be directly affected by that. Right, so quickly on the defensive side, they are apparently up to this point, I think the entire defensive staff will be retained. That's kind of the vibe that I'm getting unless guys decide to leave, which I'm not really expecting. I think people are going to have issues with that. I understand that. But I also think this is where Dave Randa trusts the guys he has on staff. And now with him being the defense coordinator, I think he feels like they can get the job done. 
So I, I expect that side to stay the same unless guys decide to take other jobs. Um, but I don't think any of them are going to be let go. Offensive side, it's all going to come down to the coordinator. I think the OC is going to have full reign to hire whatever staff he wants and retain whatever staff he wants that's currently at Baylor. Um, I Again, so... At the OC level, I think it's going to be very important, obviously, that this guy has some skins on the wall as far as being an offensive play caller. But I also think head coaching experience could be a big factor in this. I think that there's a high probability that Dave Rand is going to want somebody who has done that before. Um, that's kind of the vibe that I'm getting. I'm also thinking that it's probably going to be a spread offense to some extent. A lot more 11 personnel type sets. Things like that, I think, are, are my expectations at this point. Um, we'll see. But I do think a, uh, a decision will be coming soon. I think it could come as early as today, uh, potentially before the weekend. But as Colt Barber has reported, the drop date, the final date that they will have it done by is December 4th. I think it's going to happen well before then. Uh, and they're going to need this OC to come in and really solidify things with the roster, the staff, and then start recruiting the transfer portal because they're going to have to find some guys, especially on the offensive line, uh, that fit his style and also offensive playmakers to fit whatever style that is, especially if they move to more of a spread offense. They got to go from having, you know, however many tight ends they have on the roster to also having more wide receivers on the roster. They're going to have to shift some things in that regard as well. As far as my top candidates, I mean, one guy that I really, really like is Sean Lewis, um, the OC at Colorado. Well, he was the OC till he got demoted by uh, Coach Prime. Uh, but he's a young guy. He's got head coaching experience at Kent State, was really, really good there. Uh, he's a hot name, so he could get head coaching offers. I know the Indiana job just came open, and that might be one that he might take. But he would be kind of my top-of-the-line hire. There's a few guys off of that. Ben Arbuckle at Washington State. He's a guy from Texas. He coached Bailey Zappi uh, at Western Kentucky. Coach Cam Ward at Washington State, which is really intriguing. Cam Ward just entered the transfer portal. Um, and he's from Canada. He went to Canadian high school. He coached at Seminole for a little bit. Coached at Houston Baptist. So he's a Texas guy through and through. He's a little younger and doesn't have the head coaching experience. So we'll see on that. And then another name that I'm kind of looking at, I don't know if it is realistic, but Seth Luttrell, who's the Oklahoma offensive analyst, I think he's probably going to get the Oklahoma OC job. I would almost I, right. bet my next paycheck yes, on it. Yeah. I would bet that as well, but I think he would also be obviously – extremely intriguing uh he's got head coaching experience he's got an offense that i think is very explosive and so you put that together and that makes those three guys my top candidates but if we've learned anything about mac Rhodes, there's a high probability that's going to be someone kind of off the radar a little bit somebody that we haven't talked about or mentioned too too often um so be on the lookout for that but those are my top three guys personally and cam ward uh, that's interesting he's a texas guy uh, was originally at Incarnate Word and then yep. transferred to Wazoo and had a nice career there, but he's about to make a lot of money uh, because he's going to be a top guy in that portal, no doubt about it. Uh, Tyler Van Dyke from Miami's jumped in there. Will Howard from Kansas State's jumped in there. Will Rogers, Will from, Rogers Mississippi from Mississippi State, State and as they transition to uh, to Jeff Levy, who we all know very well. Um, but yeah, a lot of interesting things coaching wise and. Uh, carousel wise uh, for both coaches and players that are ongoing right now and are only going to keep heating up and, and getting more interesting but uh, we've gotten some of the answers already on Baylor's front as far as the coaching side but now we have an answer as well on another transfer portal entry uh, from the quarterback position 
and one that directly affects Baylor. As you saw there on Monday, all the changes going on, one of those, you've got a new OC coming in. You're going to have a new DC, even though it's your head coach. Um, but you're also going to have a new starting quarterback. As Blake Shapin announced that he will, I guess he didn't officially announce it. It was reported that uh, he would be entering the transfer portal. So after a you know very solid but up and down career in Waco over the past few years, the guy who eventually helped lead Baylor to their best season ever, in part with Gary Bohannon, eventually beat out Gary Bohannon, eventually beat out Kyron Drones, beat out Jacob Zeno. All those guys went into the portal. Well, beats out Sawyer Robertson and then gets hurt, obviously, a couple of times this year and this last time preventing him from playing in his final game. So, unfortunately, his career will end being injured, but kind of fitting all at the same time. But now he goes and joins all those guys that he beats out as far as having entered the transfer portal. Blake Shapin's career at Baylor, for all intents and purposes, is over. And um, it's just a real shame. And I saw it's amazing because – other people had this same thought that I did. I was actually writing this out last night. I was trying to think of who's the last quarterback that Baylor recruited, a scholarship quarterback from day one that finished his career at Baylor. And I do think you have to go to Seth Russell because everybody else is Charlie Brewer, Jacob Zeno, Kyron Drones, uh, Blake Shapin, Gary Bohannon. Zach Smith. Zach Smith. Um, and I don't know who Stiddle. were. Jarrett Stidham, yeah, all of those guys have transferred. All of them have transferred for various reasons, and now Shapin joins that list as well. And thank you, Garrett, for mentioning Jarrett Stidham because that was kind of the start of it. It was uh, yeah. of the whole the whole thing was him going to Auburn, losing the job to Seth Russell, and then transferring. Yep, yep. Yeah. losing the losing the job to Seth Russell, and then transferring. But Blake Shapin, um, man, uh, what a warrior! What hard on that guy. Um, and unfortunate to see that his career will not finish uh, ultimately at Baylor, but I can't say that I blame him. I think from the standpoint of just being tired of getting beat up and not trusting that there was going to be any different next year. Um, and just, you know what, I think more than anything, I know a lot of people are like, this is, oh my God, this is the sign of the apocalypse and Aranda's already lost it. I can't believe we're bringing it back. But I can't blame Blake for just wanting to do something different at this point. You know what I mean? He's a college kid. He's not going to be playing in the pros most likely. So, you know, he's been in Waco for a while now. I don't really fault him uh, after what he's already accomplished. He's been here for nearly four years at this point, or I guess exactly four years at this point. Maybe he just wants to see what's out there money-wise, location-wise, you know, who heck, who the heck knows. Um, and maybe he just didn't want to, you know, play for another offensive coordinator here specifically. If I'm going to do that, I'm going to at least go start fresh somewhere else and feel a little bit better about my surroundings. We can unpack that all day. But what are your thoughts on Blake Shapin entering the transfer portal? And do you think that was anticipated by this staff when all of these decisions were originally being made? So I guess to answer that first question, I do think this was anticipated. I think there was a belief that this was going to happen. But I also think that while he has entered and it's very rare for someone to enter and then come back to school, I do think that he's going to give whoever the new offense coordinator is a shot okay. at recruiting him. I do. And I think that's also really important to mention he has been at Baylor for four years, so it's not like he hates Baylor. And so I do think there's something important to mention there with that. And I do think if the OC comes in and has a plan for him in place – and really wants to utilize him and really wants him back, I think there still is a, a shot that they're able to get him back. Now, 
Blake Shaben in general, he proved a lot of doubters wrong this year. I, I don't care what anyone says. This team was not good. They couldn't block for him. The receivers were up and down consistency-wise. They couldn't run the football. And he still went out there and did everything he could this season. And I think it's going to show by how many offers he's going to get in the transfer portal. I think he's going to be a very hot commodity. Um if he doesn't come back to Baylor, I think he's going to end up at the Power 5 level as a starting quarterback and probably a pretty good one. Um, there's not many guys who you're going to find in the portal who have thrown for over 5,500 yards and 42 touchdowns while completing 64% of their passes. He's been really, really solid, and with a program that can really, you know, has the pieces to utilize him, I think he can be re- really, really successful if he does not come back to Baylor. Now, as far as the Baylor side of things, I mean, this is why you got to get an offense coordinator in quickly because things are changing. Guys are entering the transfer portal. It's already rumored for so many Power 5 quarterbacks that have already entered, essentially, even though they can't officially enter until the fourth. Yeah, weird um, how that works out, yeah, huh? Yeah, yeah. Coordinate, like, left and right. Guy right. in the portal, guy in the portal, yeah. And guys are getting recruited, and it's like you can't really get recruited unless you're in the portal, which guys aren't. But still, there's all these offers that are already out there. So just something to monitor there, but I don't think this is the last conversation we're going to have about Blake Shapin. Um, we'll see if that means he's coming back to Baylor or if it means he's going somewhere else and having success. But I was really proud of his response this year he he really was a warrior for this team and just he played hard and was all heart and was a true leader and so I also think that that's worth mentioning when you talk about what's his future like potentially with Baylor because he is a leader of this team now officially yeah I thought he made great strides as a leader uh just what we're able to gather as best as we can uh definitely you know became more approachable and and talkative with the media and kind of opened up a little bit more uh still has his guard up which is understandable just for any player, but um, I thought that he really had made noticeable strides as far as just kind of his approach and mindset and just what he'd learned and all of those things, and I think you're right. I, I don't think he's some, like, great player, you know, that's that's um, going to be, like, irreplaceable if he does go somewhere else, but I do think you had a pretty sure thing and you kind of knew what you got with him, and I do think that he had a really good year given the circumstances and was – their best player uh, for all intents and purposes this season. Now, you can break it down, but I think that when you come out on the other side of it, he's their best player um, overall. And you could, I guess, throw Drake Dabney up there or, I mean, who else would you even There's not a lot of candidates, quite no. frankly. It's those two and then maybe Caden Jenkins. Maybe Caden Jenkins, yeah. but yeah, I mean, I hate it for Blake. Obviously, after the Big 12 title run, you know, such a unique situation there with he and Gary kind of passing the torch back and forth there in that stretch run where Gary ended up, coming back while Blake got injured, but they don't win that Big 12 title without Blake Shapin. Um, and just the, the moments that he had over that run of uh, those last, what was it, three, was it Texas Tech game they had to win and they won, and the yeah. Big 12 title game. Well, was he that, had to play in the K-State game, the K-State, too, on yeah, the road. K-State, when Gary got hit in the sideline, and uh, or he no, he it. messed his hamstring up. And then um, Shapin came in, finished that, and then beat Tech on the walk-off field goal, and then uh, had the incredible first half versus Oklahoma State and then got banged up in that game. And then Gary finished, still banged up himself in the Sugar Bowl where the defense basically won it and all of that. But that was a a very memorable run that will always be special in Baylor history. And he had a big part in that, as did Jeff Grimes. So uh, we know that there's a chance the door could still be open for for Blake, and we'll see how that goes. But um, it will depend on the OC. So that's where we are now at this point. Blake Shapin is in the transfer portal, so the Bears will very likely have a new starting quarterback. They will 
absolutely have a new offensive coordinator. They will have a new defensive coordinator in Dave Aranda uh, as far as uh, handling both the head coach and the defensive coordinator duties. And then, you know, there's a lot of uh, ominous things you could read into, like Armani Winfield retweeting all of his offers from like two years ago or just random guys, you know, after Blake Shapin's in the portal tweet, just going, hmm. You know, I saw Hal Presley with a hmm. But I don't want to get into trying to break down the minds of young people because you never really know what's going through their heads. And uh, we don't know what's all going on behind the scenes necessarily. There will be more attrition. There will be attrition that is pushed. There will mm-hmm. be attrition that is there just has to be. totally on the part of the player and their decisions. But this is just getting started. Still, though, some pretty major moves going on as uh, as we all expected. Uh, and that was either going to be, you know, uh, Aranda leaving and, and being fired and a whole new thing happening or this modified version where he gets this one more chance. And so we're doing the modified thing, new coordinators, maybe a new quarterback, and there's going to be some more new. We just don't know quite what that is yet. Yeah, and I, and I do think the other point to mention on this is that the OC is also going to see that they have Sawyer Robertson on the roster too and take that note, potential transfers, take that for note as well, and then Blake Shapin. So he's going to have options as well, and we'll see kind of what what direction the offense is going to go and who fits best. I mean, that's a big part of this as well. Um, but yeah, you know, kudos to Blake Shaven. He had a great career at Baylor and very memorable moments. Yeah, a lot of them. And, and maybe in the offseason, we can unpack that a little bit more. It's kind of dependent yeah. on timing and things like that uh, when it gets a little bit slower. But that's not going to be anytime soon. And as we said, maybe he's back when all is said and done. There's, there's not a 0% chance of that happening. So um, there's still an opportunity uh, for that, but uh, yeah, a lot of quarterbacks have already entered the portal. That could also play into whatever happens, whatever offers that he gets. But they are going to have to uh, pursue a quarterback, whether it's him or someone else, and who fits the offense of whoever the new offensive coordinator is. They will also need to replace the tight ends coach, as Jeff Grimes handled those duties as well. So, is that somebody that already does that, or you shift around guys, or or what? I mean, again, that's that's part of the answers that we don't have. Uh, just yet you did mention though on the roster there's a lot of tight ends and that was a Jeff Grimes thing and um, there's gonna have to be some tweaking because they do not have enough playmakers at wide receiver Um, I think the running back room is pretty okay um, but you probably do have you know a little bit of a an uneven balance as far as your distribution of your scholarships especially depending on the offense because if you're going to be running out four wide receivers a lot or three wide receivers and a tight end a lot I mean you're going to need options and you're going to need more weapons and obviously they also need offensive linemen yes I I don't see how you pass on offensive linemen in the portal so what does the scholarship situation I want to get these mailbag questions to close out here but um not knowing what we don't know right now which is who all's gone what does the scholarship situation look like? Because I was sitting there putting a piece of paper to it, and I have this was a very casual breakdown just off the top of my head on Saturday. Like, literally just grabbed a piece of paper, and I was like, they could use a couple receivers. They could use, like, five O-linemen. They could use a quarterback. Um, don't need a tight end. Uh, probably don't need a running back, unless it's somebody that fits the offense that somebody's going to be running. But – uh, what do you think as far as the numbers available and how much of that could open up because of potential departures? Yeah, so I mean, I, I think... For the portal specifically, Right, I yeah. think they're probably going to lose at least 10 to 15 guys to attrition. I would be surprised if it's not around that number. And I, honestly, I think they need to, to in some regard. Um, 10 would probably be the number that I'm looking at, but 15 would not surprise me. I mean, there, there's just... 
ways in which they are able to lose some guys who they probably need to lose from the roster. Uh, as far as besides that, you know, you kind of look around, you go, okay, they also need to add portal guys. So they need to make room there. They're not taking a big recruiting class, which should leave some room for the portal as well. So again, I'm looking at about 10 guys in the transfer portal that they should be able to add, but a lot of that's going to come down to how much attrition do they experience on their own roster. And that's where we're kind of going to be able to actually find some things out. They only have 14 commits right now who will be signing in December. So again, Numbers to work with there, uh, but also a lot of unknowns, I would say, as we're trying to figure out you know, just how many spots they're going to be able to work with uh, once all these guys graduate and decide where they're going to move. But they're going to need a lot of numbers to clear it up. So. I mean, because yeah. you're talking about a tight recruiting class, and you look at this roster, like they can't run it back the way that it is. No. I mean, they have to make pretty significant changes. So there's going to be massive attrition, uh, whether by choice or by force. Um, in so many ways. And most, you just need most to be healthy attrition. You might lose right. a guy here and there that you would like to keep, but I mean, let's be honest, they just went three and nine and two and seven. There's not a lot of, in conference play, there's not a lot of guys that are irreplaceable on this roster. All right. So, Baylor football, the season is over, but the offseason has just gotten started, and sometimes that's as interesting. Certainly, I think in this year's case, that will be more interesting than the actual football yeah. season, unfortunately. Um, but. They're, uh, they're out there making moves, and Dave Aranda is going to be coaching like his job depends on it because, well, his job will depend on how things go over the next several months. Um, do you want to – we don't have time to get really into much of anything else other than the questions, but anything like basketball you wanted to sprinkle in here just real briefly? I mean, just they're playing really well. Yeah. Um, and they, they're still riding a lot of momentum. Um, yeah, I, I mean, this is a good team, and they're continuing to pile on big wins. And I think in general winning the, uh, what, preseason NIT there in the Barclays Center was mm-hmm. really impressive. Beating Florida, beating Oregon State handedly, um, have the win over Auburn. I mean, this is a really, really good team, and Scott Drew's continuing to build on it. So I'm really excited. This next, uh, I guess it's three weeks, they're going to have some really good battles. Michigan State and Duke are coming up. I think Seton Hall's coming up as well in that Big East, Big 12 challenge. So they're going to get tested more, but I'm really impressed with what I've seen. I've seen a team that is definitely getting better each week and seeing a team that's coming together more and more. Uh, Ray J. Dennis had an elite performance against Florida, which definitely needs to be mentioned. He That was by far his best game I've seen him play, and Jacoby Walters continuing to play great as well. So, yeah, I'm very impressed, and uh, the sky's the limit, as we've mentioned in the offseason, and same with the women's basketball team. They're playing really, really well. Got that win over Utah, and I, I think they're a program to definitely watch as the season goes on. Yeah, a big win over Utah for Nikki Collin and the Lady Bears. Massive win. Uh, for them, in fact, and so they're very strong and very healthy at the moment and um, looking forward to seeing what they can continue to do. But, um, man, uh, there's a little bit of excitement growing there, and you can kind of feel it uh, bubbling up, and uh, that was a massive win against the Utes, who is going to be a conference opponent here pretty yeah. uh, soon in the near future. So uh, very interesting, but 5-0 and uh, for the women at this point. They followed up uh, that Utah win with uh, wins over Harvard and McNeese and Alcorn State, and so now this Thursday it'll be SMU up in Dallas. Uh, that is their next contest. And then um, uh, you got on Sunday the Oregon Ducks rolling into the Farrell Center. So that ought to be a lot of fun there for Nikki Collin and uh, the women. And, and, of course, as you mentioned with the men, they're in the top ten, uh, the NIT preseason tip-off champions. And Ray J. Dennis, you mentioned his performance. Uh, he also gets co-Big 12 Newcomer of the Week honors for what he did uh, up in New York City 
So, yeah, uh, a lot of good things on the basketball side of the equation that can tide you over for the lack of football success. Um, but the football headlines are going to be um, very much front and center here over the next several weeks as well. They'll, they'll be intermingled with the basketball side. And I would imagine that our mailbag's probably mostly football questions, so let's get into that given all of the news here. Burger 86, it's troubling to see how soft we've gotten on offense and especially on defense. Aranda's talked a good game about being physical, setting edges, being violent, but have seen none of that on the field. Trailer, Gundy, Rule made immediate changes in practice when those coaches saw that in their teams. I, I mean, I guess that's fair to say. I mean, Rule had what a, a... I mean, they were really not good defensively the first or second year. It was the third year that they made the big jump. And uh, outside of that, I mean, the, that 2018 team was terrible on defense. And I mean, in general, 2017 was bad. But I do understand the edge, the physicality. You look at how Nebraska plays year one. There's a physicality there. And Aranda had that in 2020 and 2021. People forget about 2020 because of how bad they were. But defensively... They were as physical as it got. They just weren't talented enough to compete, and offensively they were <laughs> so bad. Um, but I do think they need to get back to that, and I think that's why you're seeing this change by Aranda. And maybe it's a little too late, but I do think in general it's smart of him, and I, I think it will help them get back to that point. Golden Green, Aranda spoke before the season about being nimble and having the ability to adapt and change during the season. Here we are once again with sweeping changes made after the final game. Why didn't he take on play calling duties midseason? Again, I I don't I personally don't think play calling duties are the issue here. Uh, and I know people want to say, oh, if you call the right play every time on defense, it means you're going to get stops. Well, if you can't fit against the run and a team runs on you, it doesn't matter if you're in the right spot. And that is something that only changes in the off season. Tackling run fits, execution, which how many times did we hear the word execution oh throughout the year? It was like I want to every execute week. myself, <laughs> right. quite frankly, after a while. It was every single week, execution, execution, this and that, and those changes are made in the offseason. I frankly don't think there's much he could have done taking over play-calling dues that would have made any difference on the course of this year. They just were who they were by the time the season started, and that's unfortunate, but again, it's something that he's trying to address, so we'll see if he's able to address it enough. Scotty B. the Baylor King, how do you feel about the following quote from Shehan, uh, Jay Araja? I don't think a good athletic department gives in to the whims of fans. And uh, Shehan, um, a Baylor graduate, of course, mm-hmm. as well, the reality is that the only thing that will actually make fans happy is winning, hiring a new coach, and losing makes things worse. Uh, he says he saw that in a Discord. What? Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, uh, uh, so what, what do you think about that? I do think that winning is all that matters ultimately and that you, you know, people will learn to love Dave Aranda again if they just win football games. I do think it, it really is that simple, um, but um, don't really know the context behind that other than that, but I do agree that, yeah, a good athletic department does not give in to the whims of fans, no. uh, even though A&M might have done that, although we don't know exactly <laughs> for sure. It's you know They did. It's yeah. argued about it feels like right now. Did. It definitely feels like they did, but I agree. You don't fire Randa just because the fans are revolting, but you do face the consequences of that, and you better hope that you're right in the long run um, and that he's able to put butts back in seats because there is going to be that backlash of people aren't going to show up probably right away or they're going to have to be coaxed back into the building. But, yeah, I, I agree. You don't give in to the fans. Uh, and from this standpoint, the way that's that's positioned. Yeah, I agree 100% with some of these things, that first part in particular. And I also, this is something I mentioned, hiring a new coach and losing makes things worse. Again, you don't know that if you hire someone new that it's going to work out. And so 
there's unknowns on both sides. I just think people are really sold on the idea that Aranda's not going to be a good coach, and because of that, they're just saying that Baylor's toast. They're just going to fire him at the end of next year, which might happen, or maybe they make improvements and they're better a year from now, and then you have the stability that Aranda provides because, frankly, Baylor hasn't had a coach that has seemed interested in staying in Waco for the long term since Art Bryles, and Aranda definitely is that. Yep, so uh, shout-out to Shehan and... Um... The uh, question there from Scotty B. Uh, actually, he also asked, what impressed you uh, the most about how Baylor men's basketball beat Florida? How they closed out that game. I felt like Florida was really pushing them in some regards, and the game was close, and it was kind of a back-and-forth contest, but Baylor really was able to extend the lead, pull away, and honestly be clutch when it mattered most. And a lot of that was a credit to Ray J. Dennis and how he really just took over and closed that game. That was very impressive to me. Paul Bufano, if we poll Baylor Nation now, what the approval, what would the approval rating be for the decisions made this week? A, keeping Coach Dave Aranda, fifty-one uh, percent uh, against. I don't, no, I don't it's, know. It's uh, way higher than that. I'd say it's like eighty percent against. And so twenty percent approval. I, I don't rate. even know if twenty percent is approving of it. I think it's just twenty percent's okay with understanding of it. Yeah. Uh, I think it's only 20%. I, I do. Okay. Yeah. I'd say 20, 25%. Um, and it's not even so much approval, like you said, as it is like, yeah, I can see why you're doing this one more time. It, it, it makes some sense. Um, so, yeah, not, not high. Be parting ways with uh, Jeff Grimes and related offensive changes. Uh, I think this one is about 60% in favor, 40% against, and that 40% against are basically saying Jeff Grimes is a good OC. Why does he need to be replaced? The guy that needs to be replaced is the head coach because he hired him and, and all that. That's what people have uh, – that's what I've gathered you from You can't this. run the ball, and that's the entire offensive yep. <laughs> focal point. Exactly. I mean, it's. It, I agree. He's a good coach, but it's not working in this situation. So it's not even about whether or not he's a good coach. He's not a good coach for what they need to do right now. Yeah, That's so 60% all it is. percent approval. Okay. I'd say, I think it's, yeah, it's around there, but maybe 65, 70. Uh, I do think most people understand or are in favor. Like, I think we all agree. The offense, something had to give there, yeah. man. I mean, we couldn't see this another year in a row of just what we saw. And see, keeping Matt Powage and related defensive changes. 100% approval ring because everyone wants to see Dave Aranda coach the defense because that's what he's done his entire career. And yep. if you're against that, then you're just being, I, I don't even know what you're being, but huh. anyone who is actually wanting Baylor to do well can kind of meant, can kind of say, yes, we would love to see Aranda coach the defense. I think most people would say that. All right. Mindful of time here. Um, J man, 1289, whether Blake shape and stays or transfers, how many years of eligibility does he have? Also, do you think the approval of these choices will improve or worsen by next season? That's basically saying, do we think that they'll get better? I think they'll, they'll improve. I, I, I do. I don't have, you know, much to go on other than just belief at this point, but I do think they're going to be better on defense. They should be, they should be better on offense and uh, they should be better as a team. And if they're not, and I'm wrong, then, Dave Rand is out the door. I need to see who the offense coordinator is. But in general, I do think they'll be better than they were. But again, that hire is going to be very important, I, I think. J-Man 1289, whether Blake Shapin stays or transfers, how many years of eligibility does he have left? I think he has two because he doesn't have a COVID year because he his first year was 2021, I believe, right? He was, or was it 2020 was his first year on I don't year remember. I'll look, though. 
He was either a redshirt freshman or he's got at least one. He was a redshirt freshman, so he's got two at least. He's got at least one, obviously, because he's entering the portal. Um, His first year was 2020. He redshirted. Okay, so So he would have a COVID year, right? Believe so. Yeah, I believe believe so. Yeah, looks like two for uh, Blake Shapin unofficially, but looks like two. Also, what are your confidence levels? that a random staff can get this turned around. I think he's asking or she's asking for a percentage as well. Yeah, I'm going to go with, I, I think it's totally up in the, I think it's 50-50. Yeah. Like you, at this point, it's got to be. I mean, they, they haven't won very many games in a while. So 50-50, and that's just confidence in him leading a good defense and whoever they hire leading a, an improved offense. Yeah, it's it's like fifty one at best, fifty one percent. Just because I, I like Dave Rand, it'll tip it in his favor. But I mean, we got to see proof in the pudding. Uh, BU grad twenty one. After taking a few days to digest this news, I can see some of the potential to turn things around. However, I feel the staff's biggest failure has been the ability to evaluate and develop high school and transfer talent. Am I off base in thinking that? And is the new NIL war chest really enough to get us in contention for top transfers? Love the show. Look forward to it every week. Thanks for all you do. Well, thank you, BU grad twenty one. Yeah, you know, I think that this past recruiting class, when you watch them play, you got to be pretty excited about the future of that group in the 2023, you know, 2022 classes and how they performed, right? How they kind of excelled. But I do think, you know, it is a question about development as next year, you know, with Dave Rand as the DC, you're going to have to see these guys take a step forward. Buddy, look at just the draft this year. I, I know. mean, where are, where are any Baylor? I mean, Garmin Randolph will eventually be up there or something or Gabe Hall, maybe. Dabney, or- if you leave. Dabney if he leaves or whatever, but like there's nobody that's like for mm-hmm. sure in the draft, you know, and getting right. picked right now. And and it's TJ Franklin and Gabe Hall are the same players mm-hmm. they were, and maybe their ceiling was a little bit exaggerated, and I, I think that might be some of it. But I also think they didn't really get any better. And there that's a problem as you get towards the end of someone's career when you have older guys like that, you're expecting them to at minimum be really solid and at times this year they were not good and so that that's really really tough to see so I do think there's some of that um, development is something that I think is a question mark at this point um, but as far as the other stuff NIL I do think this is going to help a lot their change in philosophy with NIL I think it'll help them with transfers specifically and I think high school guys will help them because it gives them more of a ceiling to go hey, if I go and perform really well, then I can get an NIL dealing and reach this kind of ceiling of getting paid more, um, which is kind of what we're seeing with them trying to retain the current roster. Travis Roeder from our Sikkim 365 staff. Arm wrestle Craig live on air, and the loser has to rewatch every Baylor game at .25 speed. Great idea, Travis. Thank you for your no, contributions you. to the show. No, you know you. what, though? Actually, <laughs> as you mentioned it, I have uh, – Bad elbows, and so I forfeit. Grayson, you're the winner. You get to uh, go watch every Baylor no, game. The at loser point. has to rewatch. So that's that's all you, Craig. You're, uh, you're watching every game. I misread that. Uh, you know what? I'm feeling better, and uh, maybe <laughs> we reschedule that. I'm just not up for it this week because we're short on time. But thank you, Travis. At some point, we may get around to that. But by all means, please, you first. Tell us how it looks in point two five speed. Uh, Paul. Rightfully says, cruel and unusual punishment. You're absolutely right. That would be cruel and unusual punishment. Imagine the coaches having to go back and rewatch this after they've taught it all week and then seen it actually go that way and then have to go back to the drawing board. At least they don't have to do that at this point. There's no more games left. But Bears 224, now that we know Dave is staying, how long and what records in the future does he earn your trust in him? Um, It's going to take a few years for me to believe that his 
that he is who we want him to be, even if he turns some things around next year. Thanks and sick him. Well, thank you, Bears 224. So what record would he need in the future to gain your trust back? Yeah, I think record is a little bit, I, I think it can be misleading. I think it's more about this team being better. Yes, they need to make a bowl next year. That yes. is my eyes. That's the minimum, yes. bare minimum. But how do they look? This year they were three and nine, and they looked like a three and nine or a two and ten or a one and eleven type team. Is this a six and six team that's more like a top forty team in all the advanced metrics? That I think would make me pretty happy about where they're at as a program. Uh, Anything above that would be kind of a cherry on top for next year because I do think this will take a step or two uh, to get back to where they were in 2021. And so, I mean, they got a long way to go. They went three and nine this year and were one of the worst teams in all of power five. Uh, I will say they have to win six games next year in the regular season. They have to get to, obviously you yeah. can't, you could have the, the, I guess the waiver win five and or whatever, but no, you have to win six games and get yourself to a bowl game and then maybe win seven. And that's bare minimum. In my opinion, um, you have to get to the postseason. You just have to. You have to for the development of the program yeah. uh, under Dave Aranda. And to not make it two years in a row and really look back and the last appearance was a loss to Air Force that was absolutely horrific on TCU's home field. I mean, yeah, that's that's just not going to cut it, not making it back to the postseason. Um, Big Cheese 83 will close us out. If I make the 15-hour drive to Waco, will one of you two stomp on my head repeatedly until <laughs> I lose consciousness? It's all you, Craig. Uh, no. But uh, I'll wrestling kick you in the head so that you don't really feel it all that might yeah. stomp a little mud hole like Stone Cold back in the day. Or we'll bring you to the studio and let you watch the games at .25 speed That would in feel the studio. like it. Yeah, that yeah. would basically be the same. You know what? You and Travis can, uh, can, can get together on that and watch the .25 speed, and you will feel like uh, what you're asking for there. But uh, no, I will not do that, Big Cheese 83. We already have enough headaches from what we've seen over the last 13 weeks of the football season. And now it's time to celebrate and rejoice, not at the expense of others who have lost their jobs by any mean. Best of luck to Jeff Grimes. Best of luck to Blake Shapin and anyone and everyone else who's going to be a part of leaving uh, through the exit door at some point this offseason. Not rooting for that necessarily, but it's very clear changes need to be made. Something had to give, and it was, uh, you know, very close to being Dave Aranda himself, and now it will be if things don't work out moving forward. But a lot more to unpack over these coming days and weeks, and uh, we will be all over it on Sikkim365.com, also on 365 Sports YT over on YouTube. Please hit like and subscribe. And if you're watching us here on Baylor Athletics on Sikkim 365, this YouTube page, please hit like and subscribe as well. And we'll have plenty coming your way when it comes to covering the ongoing story of the staff shakeup, roster shakeup, and just program shakeup that is now ongoing. But uh, until next time, I think we've we've hit all the high points here. Grayson, anything before we go? No, just be sure to check out Sikkim 365 Premium. Colt's been posting a ton of updates, as have I, and we're going to continue to be posting those updates on the OC search and just kind of developments that are uh, going on throughout transfer portal season, which is about to get underway. It's going to be a, a pretty crazy ride, I think. Yes, it will be. And, yeah, I see Colt just dropped like a fresh thousand words or so on uh, Mm -hmm. some offensive coordinator talk and some NIL talk and the future and all of that. So that's just a little taste of what you can get over on the premium side. Now is as good a time as any to join. This is like the best time of year, honestly, to join is when you've got all these types of changes going on. If you're a Baylor fan or otherwise, you're just interested in that kind of thing. Um, So 
Um, yeah, check out Sikkim365.com, the premium section uh, here on the YouTube page. Please hit like and subscribe, and we'd appreciate that. Thank you to Garrett Ross behind the scenes, as always. And until next week, we will certainly have plenty to talk about, whatever that will be. We thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. I'm Craig Smoke, and this has been the BearCast on Sikkim365.com.